Oh, that John, he's he keeps causing us problems. We know you don't really genuinely want to know how I'm doing. And so I'm going to give you my default answer because you really don't care. Like if I, if I sat down and said, how's it going? He said, oh, man, my wife's about to leave me and I can't pay my mortgage. And, you know, people, uh, people don't really care about that stuff. So we have these canned responses, that, like that's, these courtesy responses. That's always tough for me because I actually try to be more personable and, and, and I know they're just pleasantries, right? But I yeah. try to be somewhat sincere with them. But on the other hand, when someone asks you how you're doing, especially someone who, you know, you're not like super close with, I mean, it's not an opportunity to dump on them all your problems, <laughs> But have you had clients do that where you're like, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? And they, well, they start dumping. Thing? Yeah. Oh. I mean, people in general will do that. I don't I don't necessarily think that's the right thing to do. I mean, it's okay to say, well, I don't I mean, I don't know. I think I think it's okay to say, I don't know, make general reference to it's been a tough week or something like that. But like, yeah, this is not an opportunity to, to, to dump your problems on someone and to take up someone's time. Yeah. What about, what about like these with clients? How comfortable do you, have you gotten with clients before to where you've, you know, I, I've, I've worked with, you know, a group of people long enough. Like we've all sat in the same room for long enough that you almost kind of have this, I don't know, it's not really like a friendship, but you, you kind of have this camaraderie or something and, and you start acting a little bit more casually than you normally would. I mean, how far do you let that take it? I mean, some people have affairs with their clients. And well, stuff, that's so, true. I'm I mean, not talking about going that far. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying you can, it can go as far as you want it to go, I guess. Uh, I guess well, you know true. what's appropriate. I don't know. I mean, how how much of a risk of getting fired do you want to take? Yeah. But I've got, I mean, clients who have become, good, you know, like good friends, for sure. Um, clients, clients of clients, the whole the whole thing that I've just probably have like you know lifelong relationships with. So that's nice. Friends in the community, yep. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, I, I have a Anyways. little bit of follow up, which was. Um, <laughs> Last last week, I talked about how I, I missed the window to, to order my iPhone 10. I looked in the morning, you know, and it, it was already unavailable. Well, <laughs> turns out well, you I were, was a month it, early. It wasn't that you were, you were just, you were pissed too. You were like, <laughs> I wasn't pissed because I actually don't want one. And and did you see the thing I posted in the Slack of the comparison of the the, the logical resolution of, of the, it's the iPhone 8 versus the 8 plus versus the 10? Oh yeah. Yeah, I did. So the again the ten has the same logical width as the eight, the eight plus. You would want it. To, you'd think it would, the ten would be the same, at least the width of the eight plus. But it's not. I mean, even though the screens themselves are about the same width in physical dimension, well, and, they are and, the and same, the t- aren't they? No, they're not the exact same size. The the ten is actually a little bit less wide, mm. a little bit, just just barely though, uh, and it's a lot taller, of course. And also the the. The, Could it afford to lose the that The pixel weight? density, the PPI of the 10 is higher than the existing phones. Yeah. But for some reason, the logical width is like 10% less. It's the same as the iPhone 8 or 7, right? They're the same. I don't remember the exact numbers, but that's, I think, going to prevent me from getting a 10. I just don't want to lose width. We, we, ha- we had titled a show after that, Losing Width. Okay, I can't do it. <laughs> well, what about the 8? Because cannot now that, abide. Now the 8 is uh, literally falling apart. Why, do you, why are you saying it's falling apart? Because uh, it's been separating. Have you not seen that? That a lot of people are getting the eights and they're they're splitting the screen to, is this, to the body. Is this body? along the same lines of people? Remember Bendgate? <laughs> when the iPhones were bending? 
Yeah, because well, people are sitting on them. I mean, but that's I, one thing. But this is people just either res- one person received it that way, okay. and other people have stuck it onto charge, and I guess enough heat from the charge uh, loosened the glue, and it came off. Well, I, am I freaking? Apart. Am I freaking out about this? No, I mean, Apple is a you know a company that stands behind their products, and I'm sure if your phone started to separate, you just take it in and they drop You're it right off. Such a fanboy. I'm not. I'm just saying you're all in. I'm not. I'm just saying that that's <laughs> it's not the end of the world. If that happens. Just take it in and get a new phone. They'll gladly swap it for another one. Well, I learned of a service online um, that I think I'm going to use. Apparently you can take your phone into an Apple store and have the battery serviced for like, I think like 80 bucks. I think it's like 120, but well, I heard it was like 80 bucks. Maybe it is. Um, so it's that's in, that's the order of magnitude. Yeah. So I think I might go and do that. Cause I am having some issues with my battery life and that, now, that's usually, which, what do you, what, what phone do you have? The six. Okay. So you're two years old. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I have the, what, the, what is this? The seven, seven plus. So I'm only one year old. I have no battery problems. I think I might just keep this. I mean, yeah, the eight's faster, and that would be a new phone. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess I should. I, I since I just leased this thing. But if I don't get a new phone, and I just keep this for another year, I will. Um, it, after 24 payments, whatever my payment is, like 40 bucks or 45 bucks, um, mm-hmm. I, I own the phone, and then I can I can either keep it as a backup when I do get a new phone at that point, hmm. or I could sell it if it's in good shape. I mean, you can sell a, a two year old. It really in good shape, you know. iPhone eight plus for probably you know at least, at least a couple hundred, yeah, <clears throat> at least a couple hundred bucks, two or three hundred bucks probably. I mean, it, it's it's a thousand dollar phone, so yeah. I'm just not a fan of the culture that's that's kind of growing more. That uh, you have to have it, it, it's like cars. You know, I remember once upon a time people were trading out cars every two years. They felt like they needed a new car every two years. You think and, that stopped for some reason? That's still how it works. That's that's an even larger. I mean, what? I, I just don't understand that. I don't understand the concept of I need to have the the new thing every year. I Some mean, people I, just always okay. There's a couple of things to it. Sometimes it's just it's nice to have something new and shiny all the time. It's nice to have something that's always under warranty. You don't have to, you know. You, that's a little bit of an interest. These, these are people who are who are financing these things. It's not like they're super rich and they just eh, feel like getting a new car. And so they went out and got it. I mean, they're they're going they're yeah, going no, into the hole. They're going into the red. Well, that's that's with, with these that's things. you're you're combining two different topics. You're combining because now people are no, using yes, these phones. You're combining people who are just you, generally financially irresponsible with people who m- might have plenty of money, but they also just would like to have a new car every two years. There's no, no. I'm I'm trying to make the argument that that I get that. Like, if you're rich and you got the money, then who cares? But I mean, I see these people. I who, mean, I'm not rich, but I can afford to get a to lease a new car every two or three years. And I'm also oh, you saw this as a personal attack because you're no, leasing. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, you're personally attacking logic. No, all I'm saying is that I don't understand the concept for people who who feel like they have to get the new shiny thing, even though they can't afford it. Even though that well, that it it logically, yeah. if, if they're spending more because they're actually going into debt to keep having this new shiny thing. Yeah. Every time they trade in their car for every two years, the depreciated value goes on the next loan, and they just keep rolling that over and over and over. Yeah. And I see that happening with the phones. Everyone wants the shiny new shiny, and so they keep rolling, doubling down on that. I, I don't want to go into the rat hole of, of of debt and how people manage their finances, but I'm just saying I don't yeah. understand it. I don't, I don't understand it. I mean, I I, I liked having okay. new things, and I like getting new things, but I I can also say, you know what? I don't need it. I don't have to have it. Right. Um. Yeah. It's just, and, and like I, I'm I'm one of these people you're talking about. Except I I don't have to. I mean, I'm not going into debt for my phone. It's not that I can't afford a phone. Um, but I get a new, I've, here's, here's my logic, John. You tell me if you think this is flawed or not. All right. I've always gotten a new, a new phone every two years. But why? I, I, that just, let me get some facts out. All right. I've always gotten a new phone every two years. Okay. Um, I historically have done the thing through the carrier where they subsidize it for you and you, but you agree to a two year, you know, contract with them basically. Mm-hmm. And so you're through your inflated service 
cost, you're paying them back for the phone over the course of that two years. Right. And at the end of it, you know, you own the phone. Um, I'm doing basically the same thing now, except I'm bypassing the the carrier because I don't want that tight of a relationship with the carrier. I don't want the carrier to ever have me buy the balls. So I pay them. Uh, I can negotiate the best deal I can get for service without it having without me having to worry about uh, working in a phone financing deal into that. Right. So I go, so I go to Apple for that. I could just buy the phone for a thousand bucks, but then, hey, instead of being out for a thousand bucks, I'll just pay because it's that, Apple basically eats the financing costs. I think. Um, I can just pay um, a just divided by 24 and that's how many payments I would make over two years. But they also, Apple rolls into that an upgrade program that anytime the phone comes out, you can just get, you can just swap it out for the new one. As long as your old one's in good shape, there's no cost to it. There's no fee or whatever. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, your question was why, why do that? Well, there's, I've always, I guess I would turn around and say, well, why not get one every year? A new phone's come out every year. And anytime I'm on my off year, I'm just like, I was like, oh, I'm not getting a new phone this year, damn it. <laughs> so my question, yeah, that'd be my follow-up to you. is like, oh, hell, we guess me why every two years. I'm, I'm saying, why not every every year? It just seems like there's always a cost associated with it, especially as they upgrade and they, they remove ports or they add ports. Uh, the new fast charging feature is going to cost extra because they're not including anything you can anything in the box that can help you do fast charging. So you have to go out and buy all this new stuff. Well, they're, they're, so, by, so by your logic, you just don't ever get a new phone. Just keep no, no, that phone no, forever. No, what I'm saying is, is, is it sounds like, oh, yeah, I just got a new one. But there's hidden costs associated with getting a new one, even if you're on like a leasing plan. You still have to buy all these new accessories. I, and I'm not saying that there's not some disadvantages. I mean, yeah, and I have to, when I get a new phone, I've got to copy all my stuff to it or restore a backup onto it. Sure, that's a pain, kind of a pain yeah, in the butt, right? But that, the that's, stuff that's you easy. have to do, oh, well, it's a pain in the butt. Just like going and getting a couple new cables that it might require, a new charge in America. Yeah, it's a pain in the butt. You know, it costs me 20 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, but here's my logic, and then because I don't think you ever answered it. If I'm always getting a new phone every two years anyway, that means I always had a payment. I always had that $45 a month payment. Why don't I just go ahead and let Apple give me a new phone every year instead of me waiting every two years? If I'm always going to have that payment anyway. And I guess what I'm saying is why always have why why always say that you're going to have a payment? Why not just no, I'm, I'm, buy a phone and then be dumb? This is very this is a very difficult years, conversation. I can float tell. two years. Very difficult. I mean, like my car. I, I haven't had a car payment in what two three years. I, I don't want you to morally judge this. What I'm saying. <laughs> listen to me. Listen to me. If I'm gonna get a new phone every two years, take that. Take okay. that as a given. I'm getting a new phone every two years, so I'm always gonna have a. Payment. Then I would say lease it. Then I'm always gonna. Which is what right. you're doing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly what I'm doing. If you're gonna get always get a new car, then yeah, lease the sucker. Okay. And if there's no cost to every year letting the letting Audi give me a brand new car every, every year, just then just keeps my lease rolling along. Why wouldn't I let them give me a new car every year? Uh, no, I, that, there's no. I don't. Okay. I don't find flaw in that logic. Okay. I just find flaw in the need to I always have the new. I hear you. There's really no need. Um, like I said, this this phone, I'm, I may just end up keeping it for another year because the batteries, I don't have any battery issue and it's whatever. I mean, if I got anything, I should get a new watch. This thing is so slow. And apparently the Series 3 is just, it's great. I'm waiting for something a little more, I, I have a feeling like in the next maybe year or so that they might actually do something about the design. Right now, the design is pretty consistent and the watch still works pretty well for me right now. It's I mean, I'd, I'd like slow, it to be a little bit faster. Slow. I would, I would like it to be a little bit faster, but so far I haven't like felt like a drive or a need to go out and replace it. Um, well, while, while we're on this subject, I guess we'll do a quick throwaway of the uh, the uh, Google announcements. Like you got a new Pixel Two phone, a Pixel Two, an extra large phone to compete with Apple. Okay. Um, their design is similar to Apple's. 
Um, they don't have the etched head screen. They actually have the bumper still because they have speakers on the front of theirs. Um, but they have the two sizes. Their fingerprint reader is on the back. Um, but I don't know. What do you do? Do you like just put your index finger kind of on the... Yeah. You know, okay. Just like while you're holding it, your fingers just kind of naturally... At least it, it seems natural that one of my... F- hand is on my phone, one of my fingers is touching that around that area. So, and, and I know this is one of those things where you have to hold it for yourself to just to get the feel of it, but I don't think I would like that. I don't think I would like yeah, I'm that. I'm not sure either. But they, they also don't have any buttons on theirs. It's, you know... No physical button at all. No physical button. Oh, well, I mean on the edges and things, so but not, not like on the okay. front. It's, it's... No home button? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, Android doesn't have... Android hasn't... I mean, most Android phones I've seen, like I was looking at Buddy's new Note 8 or whatever it is, and there's no button, no physical button on it i don't think yeah. there's no button uh, I, I don't think apple's i mean google's ready to compete with it i know they're trying to at least in the hardware i know they're trying to you know become that premium brand to try to compete the I don't, pixel I'm, you think is what you're the saying? Pic, okay. the pixel i'm not sure it's there uh i think like the samsung phones are still much better than this one but uh they're who trying. makes the pixel google no they don't make it they have it made for them who makes uh, it they just bought htc so i'm saying oh google, okay okay google's Maybe, making it yeah so yeah. it's htc who oh, google owns who, yeah. who makes it. okay how was HTC doing? I mean, I remember like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. They kinda, <laughs> that's how they're doing. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Um, I remember 10 or 15 years ago, they kind of came out of nowhere. A buddy of mine bought an HTC phone, he's, which was, it was just a no name. Like no one had heard of it. And uh, Yeah, they kind of came out of nowhere, but they were doing some really nice designs on their stuff. And I was, even I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. I like it. If it wasn't running Android, I'd probably buy it. <laughs> but it and I, I just, I don't pay attention that much to the Android world, but it seems like Samsung is like the big leader. And then behind them, you know, you got, I don't know where they land, but you know, then you got Motorola and LG and HTC and is well, Huawei main, even a thing? Are they, you know, well, I don't know. Yeah, I think the main the main issue that I have with Android um, is that everyone kind of has their own flavor of it a lot of the time, uh, especially because of the different the different hardware specs and all that kind of stuff. So it's really tough when Google announces some new hardware feature. I mean, unlike Apple, they announce all these great new features and you just download it and now you have all the features on your phone unless you have like a really old phone. But with the Android market, you had to wait for your phone supplier, that vendor, to come out with their version of it that, that they can update to, at least a lot of the times. So I don't know if that's gotten better, but I know that was originally... Or you're worse, you're issues. waiting for the carrier to push updates to it. That, oh, yeah. What a mess. Good God. Back to my... I mean, I don't want it to be dependent on a carrier for anything other than a signal, and I even hate that. Yeah. But I sure as hell don't want to be dependent on them for access to my actual physical phone... Or um, firmware updates to my phone. Forget that. No way. It's crazy talk. <laughs> uh, in terms of the rest of their product line, I mean, they, they're looking very much like Apple. They have a they have a new speaker, uh, home speaker mini thing. Uh, they have a new Pixel Book that they announced. They have a VR. Well, you really, you really drilled announced. down on this. Uh, they have some earbuds Pixel. that they announced. But <laughs> there's one thing that I do want to go into a little more details. They came out with something called Google Clips. Okay. And so this is a tiny little camera. That you place anywhere, wherever you want, and it automatically starts recording. Oh, great! Uh, the idea is that it will take clips. It'll take like seven second clips. So you put it like on your shelf, and it's just sitting there monitoring. And you know, if it recognizes faces or something, it might automatically start recording. And so they're trying to paint this picture of oh, you know, it'll capture those moments that your kids are doing something cute that you don't have time to reach for your phone for, or that when you're not around. Are there people that are dumb enough to put this in their house, to to have this product in their house? <laughs> And I'm sure my mind went to where everyone else's how mind na- went how to. How naive do you have to be? Well, it doesn't have a microphone, but my my mind went to, okay, there's going to be a lot of creepy people with this thing hanging around, just recording people. Um, 
if you're single, you might want to check the room before you go and start. Is it like is it start small? having your, is your it small cuddle time? No, well, no. They they actually intentionally made it big and look like a camera okay. to try to ease the creep factor. But that doesn't mean someone couldn't like strategically place it on a shelf somewhere. And now now there's a little bit of surveillance going on yeah. of you. I mean, it's not like a real time thing. It's supposed to meant to be like take these quick seven second clips. But um, uh, yeah, the the creep factor is strong with it. Yeah. No thanks. Uh, so, I mean, as much as I would love to capture some really cute moments with my kids, I'm still not sold on having cameras in my house. Really <laughs> creepy. <laughs> That's so weird. Uh, that clip in and of itself is creepy. <laughs> I didn't realize we had a new creepy clip. Oh, yeah. Um, We're all heading to creepy. We all know that. <laughs> Man, uh, speaking of Salesforce heading to creepy, they and I don't follow this crap because it just it all weirds me out. I mean, the whole journey, watching someone through their journey and the super cookies and, I mean, Salesforce is all in on this. You know, they have to because they're in that oh, business with yeah. the marketing and tracking data and crux and, you know, they're in all that data. But they announced this past week, like a couple of, a couple of new announcements on just uh, the ability to just track more data on people. I don't know the details of it. And like I said, I just, I, I don't, uh, I'll stick my fingers in my ears. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear about that stuff. <laughs> oh. Um. Well, I've got uh, well, I, I, on that subject. Okay. I, I was on Safari because if you upgrade to uh, to OS High Sierra, which I'm not going to because not yet. Anyway, uh, it's been fine for me. Um, so Safari, yeah. the the latest Safari. Did that you check everything that? to make sure? Like, for example, I'm waiting for like Super Duper to support it in a non beta way. There's just things, you know. There's things to check out before you go upgrade your your stuff. Yeah, I like living on the edge. No kidding. I just I just wanted it. Um, oh, see, I, I'm hypocritical. The new shiny new OS came out, and there I was. Oh, I yeah. went and grabbed yeah. it. There, there's my hypocrisy. <laughs> it always rears its ugly head eventually, it does, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> uh, uh, so anyways, uh, it, it's got this feature where it auto-blocks the cross-site tracking um, for sites. And I went to a website. This is, I, this is what I love about Apple not making money off of people's data. Right. Like Google, Facebook, Salesforce, all these companies do. Yeah. Um, I wish I did a screenshot of it, but I went to a website and it recognized that I was using Safari and this version of Safari. And so it popped up with like this little window at the bottom and it said Safari has is blocked cross-site tracking, which prevents advertisers from direct marketing to, or like tracking or give, providing you ads that are relevant to you. I mean, it's it, the context of the, the text made it sound like they were doing me a favor by tracking all my data. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that son of a bitches. Oh, yeah. No, they, they, to, to provide you a, a more yeah. uh, customized, personalized shopping experience. Yeah, they're just trying to help me out here. Well, we have the problem, you know, we'll be um, just sitting in the, around the living room in the evening talking about something. And then, uh, you know, my wife will go get her computer and uh, do something. And it's showing her ads for the thing we were just talking about 15 minutes before. How? I, you tell me. I mean, we already yeah, know that have we already echo? knew that the Facebook app has done things like you know, um, record in the background, play silent uh, audio in the background, so it so that uh, so iOS doesn't sh- doesn't turn doesn't shut it down, things like that. They've they've done all kinds of crap like that. But but without a doubt, I mean, yeah, you go to a site and anything you enter or click on or any activity yeah. you have on that site, it is going to get shared to other sites. Yeah, because they're all they're essentially federated. Even though your your browser's not going to send one site's cookie to another, it doesn't have to because no, they're behind the site, scenes. They're all yeah. federated. So right. thanks to tools like Salesforce. <laughs> <laughs> well, the creep creep factor is real. Has, has has it ever helped you? Have you ever kind of 
seeing some of that no, targeted advertising. I mean, no, they're, they're trying to sell me crap that I bought a month ago. You know, I'll go on Amazon and look for, a, I don't know, a new, a new tool for my brewing setup or something. I'll buy it. Yeah. And then for the next three months, I got to look at ads for this thing. That's what I was going to say is it usually happens after I've already bought something. I've looked at something. I maybe did some research. And, and if I'm doing that much research, I'm planning on buying something the next couple of days. Yeah. And so I buy it. Uh, by then, all the advertising starts coming in, and I'm just like, I mean, that's why I have a separate browser for that kind of stuff. Like, Christmas is coming up, shopping season is coming up, so I have I use a separate browser for that. I turn it's like incognito mode, and I just that's what I'm using. Well, I mean, the, I think the best thing to do is is um, if you do use Facebook or something like that, and when you're done with Facebook, log out, log out, yeah. and then uh, yeah, just either use a really good. Uh, browser that blocks this type of stuff or a plugin that blocks that type of stuff or just always browse in incognito mode. Yeah. And also you could do uh, use a VPN as well if you hear that um, sensitive. So your that's location. not going to solve, that's not going to, that will solve your location. Yeah. What it won't solve is they'll still be federating unless you're, unless you log out of things well, like it, Facebook and all that and it well, disable, they, that can still do all the super cookie tracking and all that it's, stuff. It's more than location. There's also some IP tracking stuff that it'll, yeah. it'll, uh, yeah, bypasses. So well. VPN will will fix that part. Um, so you know, I talked about this. Um, I'm doing a couple of projects in Vue, which has been fun because uh, I've, you know, I've spent some time learning learning Vue, and it's pretty easy to learn overall. But I mean, you know, any any front end framework like that is big enough that it just it takes some time. But uh, I did I this one app, I, and I don't know if I, I think I showed you. So it's you did one of the screens, yeah. So you you can. Um, what you do is uh, it's for artists to basically upload their artwork into, into Salesforce. And so um, there's a, you're on a, like I say, a custom object record in Salesforce. And if you want to upload your art into it, you click this button, it's just on the screen mm -hmm. and it takes you to this. Um, I was actually able to get it to run in, in a visual force page in Salesforce. You have, you have the header and the sidebar and all that, but other than, but the, but the main content areas is this view app. And uh, there's a drop zone, so you can just you ju they just you know drag and drop their uh, their images their this, this art and like each one is an image. I think they do, I think they're doing pings hmm. or JPEGs. I don't know. It supports any of the I mean whatever anything your browser will I render. Say pings by the way. Yeah. So <laughs> what's cool though, and the reason the kind of the use case or the need for this app is uh, it when they when they're dragging their images into it, it's creating um, it's creating new it's creating a new record for each each image they put in there because each one is basically a, a unique design right um but they're also they also get to select they get to kind of cherry pick there's kind of like a related list type of thing under those they get to they get to pick which items i guess that are on a part of this you know order or however you want mm -hmm. to think of it that 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 art is for so there may be 10 items on this order and one piece of art may be for two of them another piece of art may be for different ones so they get to they get to check all that right and so what this thing does for them and there's also on the on the art itself they upload like the or the that they drag into this into the app, it, it's got a record and they can they can specify certain things about that particular art. But it it so what it does is it it actually um, once they're done it uploads all the images into Salesforce and this is all through the REST API, which I've got I want to get I'll get into detail on some some little tricks that I had that I had to learn about the, the REST API. Uploads these images to to Salesforce. Well, it uploads the images as as files so like content document content version records right. right? Um, it creates the design record for each for each of those pieces of art, and then it creates under each design it creates these item records that they selected off. Because for each design you need these, uh, so you, this whole graph of, of stuff, right? A region, so it's it's a great it's a huge timetable for the artists. They, they love it, or you know, hopefully they will. 
um, originally what I did was when you when you dr- when you dragged the image onto the screen, I would immediately upload that into Salesforce, mm-hmm. and then I would just re-render essentially that section of the screen, pulling that image from Salesforce, right? Um, I thought, I don't know, just thought that would be the best way, most reliable. It get, immediately gets the image to Salesforce so that it doesn't, I don't know if they, whatever, so they, I don't know, if they move the file or something, it would, it, you know, they wouldn't be able to upload anymore. So upload immediately. And then um, I would create the, I guess the record that image lives on. And then uh, I would kind of, I was using the, basically the, the batch resource. Mm-hmm. So, you can basically you can send multiple requests in one using this the REST batch resource or it's composite. I don't know, but it's the batch type of operation. What's cool about that though is that they all happen in the same transaction. And and I know I've talked about how great this these kind of new REST APIs they have, that the batch, the composite, the tree, whatever. Because before there was really no way to do to have transaction control, to be able to upload, you know, uh, an account, two contacts. And some opportunities as one transaction. Like you want it to either all fail or all succeed. Before you had to like, you'd have to upload your accounts. Mm-hmm. You have to get your account IDs back. Right. Then you'd have to create your contacts. And then you'd have to create your opportunities. And if the contact part of that failed, then okay, now you have accounts and opportunities. And, and you, now you're in some unknown state and you, your program better be good enough to know that it needs to like fix the contacts and retry those, right? Because right. You, don't, you don't have any transaction control. So you're, you're kind of totally on your own. So the, the batch resource gets you transaction control. And you can... In that example of like accounts and contacts, you can say, okay, here's some accounts. Um, and then you can also put your contacts as operations in this batch, but you can refer back to those accounts for the, for the IDs for those contacts. It's on and it's all in one. Um, but I ended up switching to this, to the tree. And it's kind of hard to explain why. So the tree is, it's similar and it all happens in a transaction. But um, if, if, if the data that you're, like say you're inserting accounts and contacts and opportunities, right? So that kind of makes a, a, a tree, a you know, mm-hmm. graph. If you if you drew that out, right. And so you can just um, you know, you can you can basically create a, a you know JSON structure with you've got your account, then within that your contacts and your opportunities, and you just push that all up at once. And Salesforce automatically populates the the ID. So on the contacts, it automatically populates the account ID for you. On the opportunities, it automatically populates the account ID. So I ended up doing that. So um, and and I also switched it to instead of uploading immediately, what it, what I'm doing is I'm keeping. I'm not uploading the image immediately. I'm letting them just drag what they want, keeping a reference to that um, to the file. There's a you know the, the file API part mm-hmm. of HTML5, right? And you can get the bits of the file as like a data URL. And so I'm just I'm creating an image uh, in HTML and and setting that source to that data URL. So I'm able to even render all those images immediately in the app. It's like it's immediate, it's so fast, um, without ever uploading it to the server. Um, I do once so once they they've got everything they've got all their images in the screen here they've set everything they want they hit save um, so now I have to like I have to upload all those images to Salesforce and so what you do is you post to the content version resource right, right. now that thing is interesting it's it's a the the data the the content type has to be multi part form data right is that what yeah multi part form data and there has to be two parts exactly two parts the first part is a JSON structure that is things about your content version. So you have to give it maybe the, the, the what the file name is, and it's also you know very there's various stuff you can say about the, the the file you're uploading. And then the second part has to be the actual binary part of uh, you know the image itself or the file, whatever the file is. 
and and you know if you've got a custom uh, app that's not a web browser, right? That's that's easy to do. You have full control over how this thing gets posted. But I'm 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 this is a I'm using a web browser, so I'm like, okay, how do I? <laughs> How do you do a form post? I mean, how do you create a, an HTML form that when the user hits post or hits submit and, and you're posting that, that it's going to create two, it's going gonna, it's gonna to create this message, right? Right, This multi-part mm-hmm. form data message with, with two messages. One being the, that JSON structure because as a part of that, because you know, each, each part on a multi-part post um, can have a content type, a MIME type associated with it. And Salesforce requires that on that first one, that's the JSON data structure, that it's, the Salesforce requires that you say that that's application slash JSON. So that's the first thing that's the challenge because I don't think there's any way to get a form to do that in Salesforce. I mean, in, in just no web browser that I know of, I tried several different ones, mm. would do that. Um, but what you can do, uh, there's, you know, again, some of the new HTML, or say new, and they're like 10 years old now, but the HTML5 APIs, there's this form data, like a form and form, form data API. And so you can start building a form out in, in memory just using these APIs. And you can, if you just say, if you just add something to a form and say, hey, here's the field name and the value, uh, when, you, when that gets submitted, it will not send a content type. So that's a big problem. I needed to be, I needed to speak, explicitly say this is, you know, application slash JSON. Mm-hmm. But if you say that the value is a blob, because a blob is also like a, a, a class in this, you know, form, in this form API that browsers have. And you can you can create a blob, and just and then for the data of the blob, just give it give it you can give it JSON, and then you can tell it what the data type is, which is great because I can say it's application slash JSON, and then when that posts, the browser will include type application slash JSON, so that fixes that. But it also because it's a blob, it assumes it's a file, and so it gives it a, it adds a file name attribute on that on that part, mm-hmm. and as soon as it has a file name, Salesforce gives you the error that hey we only expected one binary part to this message. It thinks I have two binary parts now, the actual file data, but then the JSON data structure, because it's got now that the browser says there's a file name on here, and it defaults to blob, or at least in Chrome it does. The file name defaults to blob. But anyway, because it has a file name, Salesforce assumes it's binary, even though you've told it it's applications that's JSON. So this is, I think, kind of a, to me, this is kind of a bug in the REST API. Hmm. Um, but what I was able to do, just by, I opened up my trusty PAW program, which is like the, the best, you know, I think, you know, kind of, API testing tool for for the Mac. Um, I use Postman. Postman's fine. <laughs> Pause better. Um, if you if you but Paw if costs you spend money. a lot, it does cost money. <laughs> but to me, it was worth it. But I discovered just by you know trying all kinds of different things, you know, using Paw to just I'm I'm hitting the Salesforce API, just yeah. really just all kinds of things. If you give it an if you because what I learned is it, it the browsers will always if you do a blob as as one of your parts, it's going to send a file name. But you can explicitly send and you can explicitly give that file name an empty string. And so the browser will send file name equals, you know, basically empty string. And Salesforce accepts that as, and it doesn't consider it to be binary at that point. Hmm. So that works. So I can actually get, I mean, using, an H, using the, you know, XML HTTP request, I can post a form and get it to conform to what Salesforce expects to upload these files. Um, I don't think there's any way to batch upload those content versions. And I, I don't really want to anyway. I mean, you know, they're anywhere from a meg to 10 meg or something like that a piece. So I don't really want to put all those in the, you know, like five or 10 of those images in the same message anyway. So I do, but I, I do fire off all the requests concurrently though. Mm. So like, let's say you upload five images. It, uh, you know, I'll, I'll send all five messages at once. Then of course, I have to, you have to wait till you get them all back. Uh, 
And then I do that tree. I have one other call, and it's this tree call. And I'm able to, I'm able to create the, because um, one thing I didn't mention is the way you link, you know, the content version to it's whatever record you want to link to is with a content document link. So I'm creating the con I'm creating the this design record, the content document link record, and like the, the the item records that live under those, all in one tree request. So the whole thing is actually really super fast. It performs great. Sounds awesome. Um, Sounds like a lot of pain to it, get it there. It though. is, you know, just the fact that 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 is so, it's so quirky. That on you know the Salesforce's REST API on what it expects and it's like they I don't know what tool they were using when they were building the API to test it but obviously they were hitting it with just a very specific message and they coded against that very specific message yeah and, and you know like I'm sorry that the browser is saying it has a file name it's not a file it's just a JSON data structure and in fact the the type it's saying type application JSON like just because it has a file name doesn't mean it's a but doesn't mean it's binary. So, so how 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 are you doing on hours on that project? Because that sounds like a lot of just trial and error, figuring stuff out, doing, just kind of really kind of doing um, some things that that you know you normally wouldn't have to expect to do. Well, I mean, you're always going to have to up. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that I'm doing more than I would have. I mean, I mean, I had to learn some some uh, some you know about the quirks of that particular API, but other than that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, hours wasn't fine. I think I've spent, I don't know, maybe 40 to 60 hours on that app. That's not bad. Yeah. I mean, it's super useful. I mean, it's going to, they're going to get a ton of value out of that. But yeah, always, always, you look for an opportunity to remind people to check out that tree API and the batch API that composite. I've been meaning stuff. to, and I actually might have a use case here pretty soon to use that. That is so the I'm, biggest innovation I might to the Salesforce. I think that's the biggest innovation of Salesforce's APIs since they, since, you know, day one. I don't know, can with because even with batch, you can't batch has to be the same type, right? You're batching the same type of data. You can't do it. You can't send it like a tree and have it all go in one transaction. Yeah, I don't know. I can I can be wrong. I actually have I haven't done that much with batch. I just have not had much. Are you of having to, to use cores for this? Because I don't mm-hmm. say it's running entirely in the browser. Yep, so that's even a, though it's coming from a Salesforce URL, you still have to core it in, right? To the to the API. I don't because I was able to get it to run you know, in Salesforce, in the Visual Force page, it's being, it's, um, it's, I don't know, if it is doing course, it's just, it's automatic. In fact, if you go look in, I, I think every org is by default this way. If you go look in cores, mm-hmm. there's an automatic entry for whatever your Visual Force, because you know when you go to Visual Force page, even yeah. though it looks like Salesforce, it actually gets served from a different domain. It does, and I, 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 I've noticed, I've noticed that the Visual Force domain is in there. It <clears> is. <throat> so, and I haven't tried taking that out to see if it breaks it, but I didn't have to do anything special in this case. I've I've done these apps before, these you know like single page apps that were hosted from uh, like static resources, where I think I did have to do more cores. Another thing I have to do is like when I'm in testing mode, I'm in development mode, and I'm running from a kind of a local server. I guess it's technically a server. Um, I think all these things. I know Angular. Um, they're kind of the, that server supports it out of the box. Vue supports as well. Um, you can you can get in there and define a proxy. So basically, anything that starts with slash services or whatever data slash rest, it automatically proxies that to to the to the server, mm-hmm. and then the server sends that message on to Salesforce. But the the server doesn't have a requirement, uh, doesn't have any kind of cross origin uh, requirements, right? Yeah, the browser does. The browser will not let you make a cross-origin request unless unless it passes that pre-flight course check. Right. But uh, yeah, so so I know people are going to ask why why didn't you just do it all in Visual Force in a controller and save it or, or do a remoting call? 
Uh, well, Visual Force sucks. <laughs> um, no, I mean, just with with the... I mean, I could have, right? I could have, you know, with uh, jQuery, right? I could have jQuery this thing all up and I could have done, mm-hmm. you know, drag and drop into a Visual Force page and I could have rendered it as, you know, the related list thing as Visual Force. But just because, due to the, you know, the amount of interactivity of this and also the fact that I don't want, to, want it to look like Visual Force. Yeah. Um, I just decided to do it. And it's really simple. I mean, I'm not even using like um, Vuex or any any complicated state management it's a this particular app is a is a just a single basically a single screen did you so look it's pretty the, simple uh, lightning design system to give it that salesforce flare nope no lds for me no lsd for you what yeah. <laughs> no this client is not lightning probably never will be and um we already have a a look and feel for like a lot of the custom stuff so just went with that i don't i don't like hearing that Probably never will be. I just don't see how they will be. I don't see how it will be possible. Well, maybe when when we have our lightning theme. Theme is it? Theme is it another thing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's only possible. I mean, just the question is, when is it going to make financial and business sense for them? And that's that's a hard sell. It's hard yeah. to make. It's hard to make that make sense. Um, I also I did something cool today. I mean, I'll just keep rolling. Unless you want to do a topic. No, I mean the coolest thing I did was I, I've been getting I've I've had three in a row of these uh, matching routines that I have to do. Basically, data deduplication or as data comes in, try to match it to something to prevent duplication. Yep. Um, custom conversions. Yeah, you've done some fancy matching stuff. Yeah, I've had to do a lot of matching stuff. So I basically have been writing a lot of native deduplication type stuff, and it involves you know creating all these kind of hashes in the system and try to reduce my data set so that I can go so that I can then continue to go through it, score the record, yeah. and spit out some some uh, some results for the user to to evaluate. And I know there's there's that native stuff, that native rule matching yeah. stuff, but for some reason it's I'm still getting requests to do this. Um, and it's it's not because no one knows it's there. It's that they've tried it. And it's either kind of too intrusive on things, or they have all this data they want to take into account from like different records. And you know, if it's this type of record, but it's got these sub records, or it's it's it has a certain relationship to this custom object over here. There are a lot of things that that they're asking me to take into account. And um, so, really, I've been getting an exercise in efficiency big time because every time I, I start out with writing just the code, and it runs like crap. Yeah. And sometimes it's things that I wouldn't think. Like because you're having to, you know, someone inserts a new lead or something, you need to basically compare that against every other lead in the system. So you've you've hopefully have done some kind of pre work on all those leads to make like a comparison really fast and efficient or something. You know. Yeah. So I've 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 been able to trade off on certain things, like not do it real time, but but there is a real time component in that it tries to set it up for for the process. So it'll do some hashing and things and and set the record up to be to pro to be processed, and then it'll kind of it'll queue up the job to process it and then it'll go ahead and do it. So it does that asynchronously. So it's not trying to do it real time. Um, it does as much as it can to set it up and then it queues up a job to do all the other work. Um, and so, and the, the, the idea is that it's going to provide feedback to the user. Cause that's the other thing they, they want these records to come in. They don't want it to get stopped. They don't want, they don't want the system to stop it from coming in. What they want is they want to be able to resolve the issue later. So they want to be able to have someone go Bash in mode off and now. have some, someone look at it and figure out, okay, why, why did we get this flagged and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's interesting because it's an iterative process in that I, I create, I create the code, the algorithms and everything, and 
spit it back to them and say, here, test this. And they go, oh my God, it's a thousand results. And so we keep refining the algorithm to figure out, you know, how do we reduce this set? You know, what stuff did it come back and and does it look like something they want? So it's a very tailored experience for, for these clients. Um, so I've, been, I've just been getting really good at, at, at uh, keeping my code efficient, looking what to work, look out for. How does this, how's this going to scale when, when, because a lot of it's on leads. Um, so how's this going to scale when they have a million leads and things like that? So it's, it's been, for me, it's been a challenge. It's been exhausting. How many hours you got in this project? Uh, it's it's actually three projects where I've done this already <laughs> in the last uh, two months. Um, this last one, I've got about 50 hours into it. Now, when you do that for the first client, do you get to, do you get to take that and use it on the next client? Or does the first client own it? Um, the first client owns it, obviously, but... So you, are, you just kind of do a clean room you know, implementation for the second client? Yeah. Really? Yeah. But there, there are certain classes that I've built that are kind of, I consider my, my utility classes that I've built in my own environment and then kind of ported those over. So I do have some snippets, I guess I'll call them, of things that I do bring over. Like, you know, I have a, I have a way of parsing a name. Sometimes I'm dealing with just the full name and I have to parse that a couple of different ways. Or the address, I have to get the street number and this and that, and I need a good way of parsing that. It's not perfect, especially since I'm not dealing with clean data or, or sanitized data. Um, and so that's why I have these little snippets of things. So I do bring those over and incorporate them. Um, not necessarily to save my time, but just to save my sanity because it's the same code every time. Yep. Um, but anything that, that pertains to, you know, the rules that I'm using to match or, or things like that, I don't bring over, obviously. It's, it's purely just the snippets of code that are repetitive. Like, you know, how do I parse this? Or what's my hash algorithm for a name or something? You know, those kind of things. Uh, so the other thing I'm working on that's cool is this, um, have you ever done any primary key chunking or even heard of that? No. People call it PK chunking sometimes. No. It sounds like something I should have heard of, but I, I yeah, no. So it's, it's particularly important in the Salesforce space. And I actually first heard about it from the guy that I think is most known for it in the Salesforce space, Daniel Peter. Mm-hmm. You ever met him? Mm-mm. Uh, I don't think so. And if I, I have, just, I'm sorry. I'm really I think I overheard him talking about it at um, at Trailhead X. Trailhead, sorry, Trailhead DX. Still, I'm never going to be able to say that correctly. <laughs> uh, and then um, Matt Morris had an episode of Technology Flows. I think it was the most recent one um, where he interviewed Daniel, and they, they the whole podcast, the whole episode was about the PK chunking. So I'm glad I was exposed to that because, and here's the use case. Let's say you have a custom object in Salesforce or any object, standard custom, and you you put you've got like a five million records in it, right? And um, let's say you need to oh you need to do some kind of operation on some subset of those, mm-hmm. uh, or even need to run reports or I don't know whatever. The the problem you run into is uh, like say on the on the Salesforce. Let's say you write an Apex query just to you want to loop through them even just batch through them. Well, it the problem is that Salesforce won't be able to build a query, build a cursor, basically, a query result, and that before the Apex transaction times out. Hmm. Um, and that, it's just because of the sheer number of records. Um, now, you can do things like if you know you're working on a subset and you can you can filter it down or do a, you know what Salesforce calls a selective query, right, where you mm-hmm. are querying on... What does selective query mean? I know it's basically you're querying on something that's indexed, right? It's a... Mm-hmm. So you're basically not doing a table scan. Um, that can help, but you can still end up with, 
even if like in my situation was I'm querying on a date field or something, which, which we got indexed. It was indexed, right? Um, but the, the resulting cursor, that still was enough records. It was two, like 2.9 million records that it, I just could you can't get a... Yeah, you can't. You can't get a cursor work. back. Yeah. And so you're kind of stuck. Like, what the hell do you do? <laughs> so what, that's where, you know, this primary key chunking comes in. So the idea is, is you, you know, you can always query in Salesforce by ID. And you can say, for example, um, you know, give me a record where ID is this or whatever. And that's, it's gonna, only re, going to return one record and you're, and you're filtering on a highly optimized and indexed field. So that's not a problem. So, and there's a couple of different ways you can, you can do a PK checking. The, the, the method I used was I got the ID, I got the smallest ID. So you can, you can basically say, you know, get me the ID from this table where um, you, know, you, can, you can say sort by ID, like sort, let's say, ascending mm. by ID, limit one. Okay, that gets you one record immediately. You got the ID. Then you, then you do the same thing, but you sort descending. That gives you the biggest ID. And knowing that, like the, whatever, like the last nine digits of the ID are really, uh, is, those are the ones that, that move. I mean, because for the first three indicate the object type, right? And then, mm-hmm. you got, and then you got one that indicates, or a couple that indicate the pod that it's on, or I think it's just one. But So if you know the lowest ID and you know the highest ID, you can just increment through those IDs, right? And you can do things like um, you can say uh, you can you can query out of that object and say where the ID is uh, greater than the minimum ID and less than basically that minimum ID plus I don't know five five hundred or two thousand. Yeah, that's a fast query. And then, but you, you can tack onto that your any di- additional filtering you have to do. So you're basically splitting it, splitting these into into ch- you know chunks of of primary keys that that do make it fast. Yeah, now that you explain it, I, I have utilized that trick before. I didn't know it had a name, um, but yeah, I've done that before. There's another method where if you are on a remote client, this works. Like if you're using the API, you can, because Salesforce gives, I mean, Salesforce will keep a, uh, a, a connection open for a stupid amount of time trying to trying to build you a cursor if you're calling in via the API. I mean, I don't well, know. The, how, the other, the other I think it's problem, like 15 or 20 minutes or something like that. 10, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the other problem I have is the sorting that you're doing. Um, I know you have to do it to get the the min and max, but um, that has a cost too because it's got to sort. Well, it should already nope. be sorted. It's already sorted. It's but it, it, it returns instantly. Right, but if you're doing, yeah. 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 Oh, well, there, there is a caveat to doing that type of... It's, that. The, it's the greater than, less than that concerns me, but... Um, that's also, it's almost immediate. Because again, that's in, yeah. that's an indexed that's indexed field, it's so true. it's really quick. I mean, it's already pre-sorted. Yep. Yeah. And we're just kind of with a typical B tree or however. You and know. the limit one is important because that basically stops after the first row. Mm-hmm. Stops yeah. No, all it's, it's immediate. You know, you can have yeah. ten million records and that will return immediately. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, there is a caveat with that particular method, which is <clears throat> if your org has ever been in a pod split, apparently. Um, some of the records, uh, maybe the, that pod identifier is different, so you mm-hmm. can't really use it if, if you if you if you've if you've been a part of a pod split where that and you already had records in that object that you probably that's probably not going to work. But mm-hmm. you can't do this other method that I was about to describe where it's like you you're using like um something a remote like a, maybe a, a web browser or something to to call into an API. You can um basically just you know do any query. I guess kind of an open query against the table. It'll take forever to build up. A query result, but it will return. I think, in like almost all cases, I don't know how big it would have to get to not return. I mean, certainly it works well into the millions. 
Um, and if you look at, if you ever looked at the query result, it's it's an it's an 18 character ID that I, that identifies the query result. But then mm-hmm. there's like a dash and then a number, and that's the offset. Mm-hmm. So you can just manually you can just manipulate that query result and just say um, dash 500, then dash 1,000, then dash 1,500. Well, you probably want to go up by bigger amounts. You could do like dash 10,000, dash 20,000, dash 30,000. Um, and that doesn't have the problem. That, that works even if you've been a part, you know, if you've had your pod split before. Uh, but it, you have to be, you know, remote client because it just takes, it takes a while to build that initial result. But yeah, this is the, I mean, it's weird. Like, once you get it's a weird that amount, you have to kind of think about these things and do these kind of things. <laughs> I thought the cloud was supposed to take care of this stuff for me. I thought this was supposed to be an easy platform to work on. <laughs> Process builder and stuff, you know? <laughs> but uh, it, no, what I was, what, this funny thing, what I was doing though, is I needed to delete some records, but I needed to query the right records to delete them first. So why, why not a batch job? Why not let it just run through a million and batch it? Because when you run your query... To, that, that kicks your batch job off, it will fail because it can't, can't get a it can't get a query result in time. Times out. The batch job internally yep. to Salesforce will oh yeah absolutely out. Yeah, absolutely. So it won't build the query locator. Nope. <sighs> yep. So what? Yeah, like I said, I'm I'm trying to delete a subset of these records, and so I just did this. You know, the i the kind of the my own ID math basically, uh, ID mm-hmm. arithmetic. Um. To, to run this. And I did it all on platform. I did, I did them as cubables. And this cubable just, I, I've got one cubable that uh, as long as there's more chunks, it just, it calls itself recursively. Yeah. And it calls the same, what's cool about it is um, it does work. I asked you this earlier. I'm just pass, I'm just calling job and passing the same cubable right into it. Same instance. Yeah. yeah. And so this, you know, you don't have to worry about state, you know, all your state's still there and everything. So yeah, I remember you asking me about that. And I, I did something similar where I had it just calling itself, but I, I chose to pass in the data that I wanted it to keep track of versus just passing the same instance in. And I don't remember why I did that. Well, I think, that would have been, a, if you would have passed the, the instance in, you would have probably created. Well, we talked about leak. that. Yeah. But I, I meant instead of just passing and just requeuing the same object, um, I still, I still had concerns because I didn't understand what the, what the implementation of Cubable is. And you know where the memory, where exactly. the memory lies, yeah. and and you know it, even you mentioned it, like you know what what happens with the garbage collection and all this kind of stuff. So I was really concerned about it. So I chose to just instantiate a new instance, but pass in the data that I need, the context basically, yeah, um, and just let it keep going that way, yeah. Uh, just because I was just really concerned about you know how that all worked, yeah. And I wasn't sure how it worked, but it essentially works as a as as like a, the way same way tail call recursion does it. You can you can keep you can keep Enqueuing the same, the, the a cubable can keep enqueuing itself over and over and over as long as it's completing, mm-hmm. bef, you know, effectively before the next cubable starts. And as well, long there, as there's and, still a time limit too to cubables, there, yeah, each one is a transaction. That transaction, I think it's a little bit larger, it might be. It might it it, either it's probably because it's asynchronous, right? Yeah, so, yeah. So I think the the CPU timeout limit is a little bit right. higher, but um, either way, it still has to complete within that certain time yeah. frame. Yep. Um, but yeah, and as long as as long as one cubable is finishing before the before the other one it kicks off starts, you're not going to run into any kind of memory or concurrent number of cubable jobs problem. And as you're as long as you're not passing an instance of your old cubable into your new cubable. Now I don't have to worry about that because I'm just using one instance and it's just mm-hmm. re-enqueuing itself over and over and over. Then you're fine. Right. It's still running, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's actually running really slowly, but the reason is because. You know the cubable will run, and it, it runs relatively fast. Doesn't take long. 
there are some workflow that are getting kicked off. So, you know, if I'm actually, I think I'm deleting 2,000 records at a time. You, you there's know what the sucks? workflow slows there's, it down. Is, is in, the, in Apex, we don't have a hard delete, which really sucks. Are you clearing the um, recycle bin as no, well? No, you can do you can do hard deletes. It's a, I believe it's an option if you call database.delete or whatever. I think oh. there's an option to, to I'll have do to look at delete. that because I, 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 once upon a time, and this was a while ago, a long while ago, like probably five years ago when I was having to delete a bunch of records. At the time, I couldn't do a hard delete, so I had to do a delete and then do the the, the secondary call to empty the recycle bin on those IDs. So it would, I had to chunk it and do delete and then delete again to get them out of the recycle bin. What's that? The database? Are we going to Google this? Well, I already I just happen to have the database class. Here we go. Because um, I know in the API, like the the soap and rest, you can do a hard delete, but it, it's only it's only possible if you're doing the bulk API. I think like it's not part of the standard API. You have to be doing the bulk API, I think, to do the hard delete. So record to delete, all or none. <clears throat> yeah, it's it's all or none. I don't see the the hard delete. I wonder if there's what am I thinking of? I might be thinking the API. Or delete immediate. Is that it? There's delete async. Delete immediate. Yeah, no, see see, I think it's still the case. I think you still have to delete and call the delete on the recycle bin. Oh, empty you can do yeah, empty recycle bin. I don't know. I thought there was a way to to do that, but maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Well, maybe someone will tell us on the Slack channel. Yeah, well, and I think um, if you're doing it with the API, isn't there a, isn't there a like a soap header or something? Well, you I think set? on the on the bulk API only. I think it lets you do a hard delete where it just completely gets rid of it. But um, hmm. in in Apex, it always goes to the recycle bin, and you have to clear the recycle bin. Bummer. But anyway, yeah, PK chunking is like one of those things that you don't have to care about until you have to care about it. You shouldn't have to care about it, though. Well, yeah, whatever. There's the, <laughs> you say that about a, almost everything you do every day. The fact that it needs to be cared about is why you have a job, John. You and I have jobs because some things people have to care about. No, that's not. That's not. That's not something I want to own. What do you mean? You can you can process a million records locally on a server much easier than you can through Salesforce. True. It's a cloud, baby. It's easy. Now, if, if no if, code, if no it's code, anonymous, John. meaning meaning it's complex. no software, no software. <laughs> if Process it's an, builder. If it's anonymous, meaning it's complex both locally and on the cloud, I'm willing to accept that. I'm willing to accept. Yep, this is just a hard problem in software engineering. That in software, I'm not going to use engineering in software that that um, that we have to solve for, and that that's what we get paid well, the big bucks to solve for. But this, come on, you you live with this. Look at the, look at the problems it creates that you have your that you're working on files. Uh-huh. Apex files and Visual Force and all this on your local file system, and the gigantic problem it creates of how do you keep that in sync with what's in Salesforce? I mean, look look at the metadata, the tooling, the all these APIs that have all these problems with them, and this the SFDX that tried to solve some of these. And it's well, that's so- simply because you cannot run it on the system you develop it on creates just an innumerable set of accidental complexity and all these problems and bugs that are just never going to get hammered out. Yeah, the way the way you started that statement. So if you're gonna... willing to accept that, then you should be willing to accept doing some PK chunking every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to point out that the way you started that, I was going to disagree with, but because uh, you still have the problem. You still have this isolated environment you're dealing with. And when, you, when you're working on a tool or on it, on code across multiple people, you still have the issue of syncing, but we've kind of solved for that with things like Git and version control and, and merging and all that kind of stuff. That will sync your local file systems. Yes. 
but now you got to sync the cloud. Yep. And the cloud does not participate in that. It does not. It, Salesforce should have like a place where you can put GitHub account <laughs> or just or just version or just some some way for it to participate in the in the chain. Yeah. Know? Not not as a target but as a participant. Right. That's just the way I think it should be. Well, the other, only other thing I have on my list is this article that um this uh, the software, the coming software apocalypse. Oh no! Yeah, hang on. Uh, is it going to be all written by robots and AI? And, let's see. Um, and um, uh, Elon Musk is going to code us out of a job. No. And Chuck sent this in. He this is one last week we talked about. It. It's super long. I mean, I, I actually oh. got through it, but I think by the time I got halfway through it, I forgot what I'd already read. I never. I didn't read it. I did take some notes though, so maybe we can just you know kind of hit the high points. So to me, this article was about. I mean, the, 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 they start off this this story about a nine how I think it was all of Washington State lost nine one one service for six hours and this was I don't know some number mm. of months or years ago it's kind of an old story now the whole state lost and it you know they they of course did a big retrospective to find out what happened all this so it turns out that the entire state's nine one one service runs on a server that's somewhere in like in Colorado so it's probably in I bet it's in um, what's the uh, big government complex we have like under Cheyenne Mountain. Um, NORAD. NORAD. NORAD, yeah. <laughs> it's like down there or something. I don't know. Uh, yes, they, they run 911 and they also track Santa. Exactly. That's, <laughs> that's all I know they do. Um, but no, so the idea is, you know, I think that just we're aggregating so much stuff into into such, into links, single links in a chain, I guess. Or, you know, we're, we're concentrating everything and we have our, you know, if one thing goes wrong, it affects, because we've aggregated so much, it affects, mm-hmm. you know, just so many people. And, and can have catastrophic, you know, it can cause not one to go out. It can cause, and the other examples they gave was like Toyota and the, the accelerator supposedly getting stuck. Well, it just was like some software bug or something like that. And of course, Toyota ended up having to pay like $3 billion and do all kinds of stuff. And um, what else? Let's see. You know, they, they say that, um, you know, you shouldn't have to, you, sh- uh, you know, you shouldn't have to write code in order to program a computer. That's that's one of the big things there. Um I, and the I, example I they gave is, you know, you can, you should be able to program a game by dragging things around, teaching computers about the physics of the game just by dragging them well, around. That's bullshit. That says that dragging is 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 a better way of communication. So if I take my my glass of whiskey here and I just roll it over to you, do you know what to do with that? Yes, drink it. No, I don't want you to drink it. I want you to look <laughs> at it, smell it, and tell me, and and then give it back to me and tell me what 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 you think I'm not, of it. Not sure I get the metaphor. <laughs> See. I'm just saying that's the same well, difference. You drag this and you drop. I mean, it's it's this, but you have. To, and and when, so, so to me, commu- programming is communicating. It's 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 communicating instructions and mm-hmm. things like that. And you have to be very specific. And I feel like, yeah, specifics are good, right? I feel like drag and drop is like is like having a bunch of flashcards, and you try to communicate with flashcards. So you try to send like these flashcards and try to communicate everything you need to communicate, but you're bound by these flashcards of yeah. what's on these flashcards. Yeah. Um, they also talked about, you know, the whole, and this is, God, this is such an old topic. I've got books on this that are 20 years old, like model-driven architecture, model-driven design. Now they, you know, there's something called model-driven engineering, but it's basically like you shouldn't, you know, you, you programmers can't handle code. We're too, because when we're down in code, we're not able to think about the system we're building because we're too focused on code. Um, and it no, says it's instead, just a bunch of people who- no, instead you should have draggy droppy models that you build. And then the system writes the code for you. Of course, we've had that forever. The problem is it's just not a great way to specify specifics. It's not a good way to communicate in general. It's just not. 
Um, one guy says, I'm not even sure that programming has to exist at all. I mean, think about, think about flowcharts in general. Do we, do we use flowcharts to really describe a bunch of details? Usually not. I mean, you can, but those things end up like a mile long in, if you try to print it out. Well, and, I mean, in general, it's it's meant to give you an idea to kind of give you the kind of this visual flow of where things are going and where they're headed. I mean, even even if you look at topographies of 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 land and stuff, you see the general peaks and valleys, and you use that as a kind of a as a general high level to kind of understand how things in the overall system are working and flowing. But then, when you want to understand specifics about that area, you you go down, you go yeah. deep, I get mean, on the ground, boots on the ground type stuff. We, there have been massive efforts around around MDA, and I and I do think it has its place actually. Um, I do think there are, and I you know look at process builders as an example. I mean, and, and I know it's Should not. We just call them workflow. I, I hate that we have these. We oh. have we have no, workflow. You're, you're... We have process builder, and we have flows. When really they're all trying to solve. They're all trying to be workflow engines. Not necessarily. I mean, workflow, I think, implies like, I don't know. Uh, if you look at other know, workflow systems. Uh, and workflow is such an overloaded term. The problem is it means a million different things. I don't even know what workflow means. I'm just sick saying, saying process builders. That's, I'm yeah. sick saying that word. Get some awesome process builder stuff. I'm but anyway, so awesome. I mean, if you, if you are regularly like building the, like, the same types of things in the same domain. Oh, I polished the bottle it could, off. Listen to me. Hold on, I'm drinking. I haven't drank in like a month. This, this podcast is going off the rails. I can tell you that already. Um, <laughs> for that cork away too many times. It no, what I'm saying if if there's if you're building kind of um if you have a, if you're in a business or in a situation where you know, you're building similar things um regularly in the same domain, it might make sense to build some kind of mo- like meta model, uh and then and then a a generator or a transpiler, whatever you want to call it, that then t- can take models that people build out of that and then convert that into code or something the machine can run. Um, but th- I, but those are isolated. Those are that's never going to work for like general purpose programming. Like for the, and the, take an example. I think it was some kind of safety critical because you know safety critical systems are the ones that people always like to talk about. Like maybe the a, a, an airline's computer system or like these cars computer because you know my, like my car or I mean, most cars. Most cars the accelerator is not attached to the engine anymore. It's attached to a computer, right? Mm-hmm. And there's like all these software processes going on that are telling the engine how much gas that are how much gas sh- should go, be going into the engine at any, any point in time my steering wheel is not even connected to anything like when you put it in sports mode or if you if you go around a corner or if you get, the faster you go it it adjusts how sensitive the steering is my steering wheel is not connected to my tires at all <laughs> in any are you way getting kind of are you getting any kind of feedback is it also no you of, do yeah okay yeah it's like um you know like hammer action you know keyboards that make that feel like pianos or like the, weighted hammer action the force keys. feedback on our touch pads exactly or no it feels great in fact that's that's one of the benefits of it is it can it can make your steering tighter or or looser or more sensitive or less sensitive to prevent you from oversteering or understeering or whatever it knows you know when these computers are and the cars are working correctly it it pretty much knows how it needs to adjust itself so that you do the right thing more. You know, you have a better chance of doing the right thing. Yeah, and it's a more and it's a more enjoyable experience too. So I don't know. I think in, the, in like um in safety critical systems, there's probably examples where some kind of MDE type of thing um, makes sense. But it just I don't think it goes down to general programming or general purpose computing at well, all. I, I mean, I think it, for it, it turns to out work. it turns out that a programming language is and without getting into the into the weeds of <clears throat> you know some people. You know, some programming languages are better than others. Some are better at different things than others. You know, mm-hmm. you've got new ones, you got old ones. Yeah. But in general, programming languages are a pretty damn good way to specify the specification of the program. And that's why I always like to say, 
This is nothing new. I didn't make this up. But, you know, when someone says, oh, where's the spec for that? Well, I have the code, which is actually the most, the best spec you can have. The code is not the program. The code is the spec, that a specification to tell the computer what the, what the compiler should do. Right. So the code is, is the most truthful spec. Um, right. Now, we have this big topic, and I think this is kind of what they really didn't get into that much, which is programmer skill and, and competence. And, and uh, you know, craftsmanship or whatever. And I know that's kind of a, yeah, a, loaded, the, the, a loaded... So the reality is that is some people do value that, and, and they pay for that value, but others don't. And so they go off and try to find the cheapest purse, yes. cheapest labor. And then they find this, they get this crappy code and they go, this sucks. I'm getting crappy code. We should just write, we well, should just have, have this automated now because and, nobody can right. write good code. Yeah, they think it's like, no, you're hiring a bunch you of did crap it wrong. people. You did it wrong. That's yeah. why you have a crappy system. You hired on the cheap. You had, you know, you wanted an offshore. You didn't want to give them enough time. That was, I mean, uh, another example they gave, it was on, it was, actually it was on, it was the same one, Toyota, right? Mm-hmm. They're, and, and they, I think it was, I don't know if it was, uh, I know the government hired NASA and some other, like some other top like software people to analyze Toyota's source code. And, if, you know, like the source code for a car is something like on the order of 100 million lines of code. Do you believe that? They um, said the Tesla is supposedly, in fact. Well, yeah, because, well, Tesla, I believe, because everything, everything is software. I mean, it's, everything is adjustable through software. It's funny because, and I, God, I could have sworn I... Oh, here we go. I got to hear two quotes from this article. Visual Studio is one of the single largest pieces of software in the world. It's over 55 million lines of code. Okay. Next quote. Nobody would build a car by hand. Code is still in many places handicraft. When you're crafting manually 10,000 lines of of code, that's okay. But if you have a system with 30 million lines of code like Airbus or 100 million lines of code like your Tesla, wait a minute, hang on. I thought Visual Studio was the biggest one with 55 million lines of code. <laughs> so that was the biggest one. And then, and then they immediately, later in the article, 100 million lines of code, Tesla. It's, it still <laughs> doesn't make sense. I mean, it's, 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 assume, it's, it's looking at code by, it's, it's taking these numbers, these, line, these lines of code, which could mean nothing. It could be a bunch of spaces or it could be one character. doesn't matter, <clears throat> which people used to do, by the way, when they're getting paid by the, by the line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> tell me what was what was the quote? Tell me how you'll measure, and I'll tell you how I'll perform. Yeah. Um, so so, anyways, they're they're taking this number and they're just they're just twisting it to mean that oh, someone sat there physically and wrote ten million lines of code or whatever a million lines of code. And that's not the case. These things are are modules. They're componentized. They 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 have their their inputs and outputs, and they're very specific. And and if they're done right, they're they're granular enough that they're easily testable exactly. and maintained. It's just, it's just this, it's, like this layman's view. It depends on how well-engineered it is. I mean, like, yeah. for example, yeah, I mean, if, it's great if your system is, is really well-factored into layers and components and they're all, they all, their inputs and outputs are clearly specified. Therefore, you can easily test them, their inputs and outputs. You can, you can exercise them and make sure they're functioning right. Yeah. On a component, you don't have to understand the whole system. You just have to understand this one component, this one I mean, little thing. statements like that are just, it's just propaganda and fear mongering. I know, it is. That's, this article is actually... <laughs> I did not like this article, but let me go back to the I mean, should we thing. automate our houses? I mean, people build houses all the time. We maintain our houses. We remodel our houses, and that's made of millions of materials. Yeah. Millions of different types of materials. I I, I don't like the um, building metaphors or, or comparisons to, to programming. I, just, I don't think they hold up very well, but anyway. Um, now, so Toyota was like 30 million lines of code or something, and they had an anal- the government analyzed it. 
And basically, it turns out that um, their code was they basically just said it was a big it was a big bowl of spaghetti. And yeah. when they drilled into why it was a big bowl of spaghetti, it was all the time pressures. Mm-hmm. And that really gets into what this article didn't cover, which is because because they, they recommend all these tools. Like right? this is tooling needs to solve this for us. Mo- you know, model generators, model translators. You know. Mm. Uh, th- things that where the way you program a game is by just dragging stuff around. It'll it'll learn what the physics should be by how you're moving stuff around, right? Which unfortunately, that's a program in itself, which has got to be programmed and it's got to be right, <laughs> and it's going to have bugs, right? <laughs> but they don't talk about uh, testing. They don't talk about. Um, I mean, they didn't. They didn't. As far as I can tell, they didn't talk to really any any computer, any like what, the, the programming experts that I know of. I didn't, not one quote. I mean, I don't, I don't know who these people were, but they, they didn't, they didn't talk about testing. Um, here we go. It really does constrain your ability to think when you're thinking in terms of a programming language. That's their, that's their, what they're saying. And then my, my, my response, let me read that again. It constrains your ability to think when you're thinking in terms of a programming language. Then explain test-driven development. Because test-driven development is all about thinking and designing through the act of writing test code. Like, you know, because TDD is not a, it's not, according to the, to the TDDists, it's not necessarily about having this great regression, regression suite. It's a better, they feel like it's a better way to design your actual code, to think about your code. Because with TDD, what do you start with? The very first thing you do is you write a failing test mm-hmm. and you start at the top of the system, which I think is also kind of a flawed thing, but you start at the top of the system and you're like, you you think about what's going to call this code and you write a failing test and you attempt to call that code, right? And then you go implement it until the until the the bar turns green. But you're you're always thinking about the code you're trying to write from the perspective of the the thing that's consuming that code. And then once you get that layer done, you go down to the next layer and then you know you're in security layers and then you get down to the data access layers, right? But you're always doing it in turn in the terms of what the person, the thing calling it, the layer right. that's calling it or whatever, how it needs to work, what its perspective is. Well, that's, it's like, they, it's like they've never heard of that. I mean. I, th- I think the other thing, the other danger of these type of articles is that it, you think Toyota's going to argue and say, yeah, you're right. Or they're going to say, no, 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 it wasn't that. We just, had, we just hired some, some cheap labor and no, this is giving them an out. This is giving them a reason to say, yeah, you know, we, we did this. We hired a bunch of coders. People just can't do it. We need to automate right. this. Well, and also I think, you know, the, the thing you find out on that Toyota thing is that, because again, most of these errors I think are deadline driven. And, and there are people, I, I don't know. I think, I feel like software developers just need to, they need to be more professional and speak. The problem is we don't speak up. I say, I'm, I'm no, I think we do. Well, no, I think in general, I think, I think in general, we don't. I think, I think as we age and as we, we get, we get this experience and we see these things and we go, I, that's going to be bad. That's going to be bad. I'm, don't when I say that. we, I'm not talking about like the old wise we, I'm talking about the general, like all of software developers as a group in general, we don't speak up enough. We, we don't, um, I, I, when, I don't, when, when, don't when the management says this needs to be done by this date, people just kind of say, uh, okay, or whatever, and you just you get it done. You when you know if you can't get it done, then we'll find someone who can get it done. I, I guess that's true. I, in the economy of, I mean, you got to consult consulting companies. Dollars you got consulting companies that are that are they're, 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 they feel like they're on the line with their clients. But, hey, we just need to get this done by this date because that's our go live date. And it's like, do you want you, you want to listen to what I have to say about that? <laughs> Look, I, I I think it's a balance because I, I think um, I think having goals and something you can strive for 
is, is a motivation for people. I mean, we see this everywhere. When people are trying to get motivated to do something, they need a goal. It can't just be this open-ended thing where, eh, someday I'm going to, I'm going to fly a plane. And it, 10 years later, they're like, they still haven't flown a plane. Right. You know, you have to have goals and you have to set deadlines and that's fine. Is this a, uh, uh, what's the, what's the method? Is this the GTD? Is this a GTD talk? <laughs> get John. <laughs> uh, the, the good day, sir, Ted talk. Or, you know. <laughs> getting things done. Oh, getting things done. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe. Like you um, always have to know what your next step is. Or you, you do. Go, I mean, you do yeah. have to kind of, and you know, so I, so I don't want to say that deadlines are bad or even short deadlines are bad. I mean, some people get inspired and do some really great things when they're under pressure. Um, however, I think the- But please don't design my, my aircraft software when you're under that kind of pressure though. Well, no, no, no. Let me, let me, let me, let me say this. Okay. So- if you're hiring the top player, you know you're on a dead, you're on a tight deadline, and you need the best people working on it, the smartest people, the the most experienced people. You have a much better shot of ending up with great code at the end of that timeline than you would if you're so focused on price. You have the same deadline, but you hire a bunch of junior developers who who barely have you know barely cracked a year in coding and have done the same thing over and over for that year with with very little kind of outside experiences. You're going to get crap code. I don't, the thing I, I don't understand about that is it, I feel like most people at a at a relatively young age in their adult life learn. We we learn. It sometimes takes us a few times, but we ultimately we eventually learn the lesson that um, the pay me now or pay me later. That if you go, if you cheap out on things, you're going to end up spending more money in the long run, right? You know, if you got to put up a fence in your backyard, you put up, you get the, you take the lowest bidding of the crappiest fence you have. It's going to get blown over. It's not even going to last a year. But if you spend Thirty percent more money. You'll get a fence that'll last you ten years. It's it's, it's corruption, in my opinion. It's just flawed. Because here's the way I see these things play out. Often, ha- having worked in in some enterprises, is there's a short short term benefit when this happens. So you you have a bunch of internal development, and all of a sudden the company decides they're going to outsource it. And for the first six months, they have made they have made a killing. Not only have they outsourced all this, they've been able to get rid of this really expensive staff. But the, but they also were able to offshore a bunch of stuff to this to this other company who did it for a quarter of the cost. And so there's a short term benefit to it. This this spike where it looks like wow, this was the most best. This was the best decision we could have ever made because now our 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 our, uh, our cost has come down, and someone likely got a bonus because of it. Yeah. And then the fruits of that labor start to come in. And where's that person? Probably off in some 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 oh, beach somewhere. No, no, they've already they've already or they've moved on. They, yeah, or they, they, they got a they got a better job at another yeah, company. They moved exactly. up now. They're you know vice president of some huge division in another company, and that no one no one no one holds people accountable to, to that to that degree yeah. anymore. And I know and that's so what I happens. Know that's what anecdotal, happens they, but they, they might have saved uh, you know a few hundred thousand dollars offshoring this thing. But yeah. what it ultimately cost them a, not only a three billion dollar fine, and I think that's part of that was like restitution to the company to the yeah. to the people who died and their families and all that. But I mean, imagine, I mean, just the, the PR hit they took that was probably co- worth 10 times that. Yeah. So. I mean, I, I know it's anecdotal, but I've seen it time and time yeah. again with a lot of enterprise, well, a lot of enterprise level organizations where they had a great staff internally. Listen, when you, But when it was you, just getting too expensive and yeah. they wanted to cut, they wanted to cut cost, cut cost, cut cost. Yeah. And they did it. And then, and then on a short term, it seemed like it was a good decision because they were able to cut cost and nothing bad happened. Yep. But then after a while- you start to see the fruits of that labor, or I mean, the like, lack of labor, and, 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 and let's keep picking on Toyota. In their case, I mean, they're a big enough company with enough, you know, financial structure to be able to withstand that massive of a failure. Mm-hmm. But I mean, most companies, you know, if they have a failure of a that kind of magnitude, they don't have that type of back, you know, that type of backup. I mean, you know, take Salesforce for example. 
even though they're a big company, like if, I mean, there was a, I think there was a, a decent chance. I mean, a non-zero chance that Lightning just was a, and I think we're way past that now, so I'm, I'm not saying that Lightning is going to be a failure. But at a certain point in time, there was a, there was a, I think the jury was still out. And if Lightning, with as much as they had on the line, with PR and, and the money and everything else, if that had been a big failure, th- that's something that can tank a company. And so that's one of those things like, you know, you got to be careful. This is, this is a very important thing. And it's so important that, you know, you, it's not, you know, it's not all about um, your near-term costs. I mean, if you mm-hmm. have budget issues and there's literally not the amount, there's not the capital there to do this thing the way it needs to be done, then you need to look at other things. You need to look at pairing scope back or giving yourself a better time horizon or something. Some, some, there's way, there's sometimes there's ways to trim this thing down in a way that still fits with your business plan and, and the, your, the dynamics of the market you're in. Well, Salesforce is, is an interesting topic when it comes to this because they do release things that aren't ready. They do hype up and release things that are far they, they they could use another two years of development i know lightning but, being one of them right but, but, they get but lightning of, is so big and if they, they they definitely could have bungled lightning in such a way that they just could not recover from yes. I mean, this is yes. I, wish I, had, I wish i had a great example on the top of my head right now but i don't but there's you know i'm sure people are screaming at me right now with examples there are plenty of examples of company of the of, of you know tech companies that you know had you know a big hurrah and they just didn't execute it right and a company that you would have never thought would go out of business that ended up, and a lot of times they just end up having to basically sell, but that's essentially a failure. Or, or, but you're, or you're trying to think of examples where it's technology related, not necessarily, you know, just having a business model yeah, that I, works. I, anything, but I mean, I think, to, I mean, I'll, well, what, 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 Snapchat, that's, that's one, if you want to have an example of one that just was overly hyped and really had no real business model in terms of at Twitter. Well, what, yeah, but what did they, what did they, what did they take shortcuts on? What do we know they took shortcuts on that, that caused Oh, that from the perspective of, of taking shortcuts to, yeah, yeah I see what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, I, I, I mean, going back to Salesforce, I don't, I, I agree. I, I think I think they were able to kind of, del- and we, we, I think I said this last time, is, is, is as long as you're able to deliver on that hype eventually that, and, and within within a certain time frame, then the marketing hype is fine. You know, you, you, you can continue to do that and you can ride that for so long. And as long as right when that, that marketing hype gets stale, you're able to deliver on that and make it a non-issue you're fine. But at some point, if, if you overextend and you're not able to ever meet that or meet that within a certain time frame, it could be very damaging. It can be because, I mean, in, in Salesforce, I mean, they're, they're capitalized enough that it's, it wasn't a, or at least it had not become a, an issue where like, we've got to start getting revenue of this. We're going to go out of business. But imagine if you and I decided to build a product together and we're like, we're going to give ourselves six months mm-hmm. and we, we push too hard on scope. We try to build too much into it and we let our tests slack off. We, um, you know, which, we, which, we let it become yeah. spaghetti. We didn't refactor what we needed to. We didn't pay down our technical debt. Right. And, you know, it could get to the end where we're just like, we'd, we, don't have a, we don't have a product you can ship, yet we've spent all of our savings on this, and now we're like bankrupt. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you're in a situation where you actually, you do need this thing to work, or it, it is an, is an existential problem for your company. Right. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So, that was my take on it. You know, I think the fact is a lot of a lot of programmers still don't write tests, or they they don't know how, they they think they are, and they're not writing good tests, or they're not. You know, I don't know. Test, testing is actually a super hard. I, thing. I really, I really, I, I really think that. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off. Now. I'm I'm kind of buzzed, and I'm ready to jump in on these <laughs> topics. I, I really, I really think that we need 
I, I almost like Benioff's idea of, of internship, of training people and mentoring people. Although I don't think that that's his real goal. I think his real goal <laughs> is just to, <laughs> it's just to be able to trumpet that. Uh, but I miss, yeah. I miss the days where, you know, like a blacksmith, if you want to be a blacksmith, you went and you interned as a blacksmith. Well, don't, don't plumbers still do that? Don't a lot of trades still, yeah, electricians I think a lot of, still do that? I mean, I think, I think that's what we need for developers. I mean, I, I don't like this whole, you go through academia and, and, and you get a diploma and you come out of it knowing nothing. Well, for a lot of programmers, that's in fact, not what they did. In fact, I, I think I'd be surprised if half of working software developers on now have, have CS degrees. I, I, I think a lot of the good ones did not. I think a lot of the good ones who who really felt passionate about what they did and learned and made mistakes and gained some experience. I'll include mine myself. Not that I'm a great, but that I learned through through experience, um, and you know, and and through some mentorship throughout the way. You know, I, I was able to interact with people like you and other people who who showed me some things or taught me some things that I was able to to springboard off of. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of people these days come out of it very isolated. They come out of it with a degree and they're isolated in what they were doing. And now they're expected to perform or they're expected to do a startup. And there's this whole startup culture where they just kind of work them like dogs and they're not really learning or gaining experience. They're just this monkey in front of a, comp- a keyboard. And I don't know I don't know what the details of Benioff's plan are or even if that's even a thing. But if it is, if it has anything to do with um, encouraging companies to to do to to um to have apprenticeships or to just have a, a mentoring program or just a, an explicit program where you and this has to be companies of a sufficient size because you can't run a little bitty company on a bunch of junior people you have to right the the bigger you are the more senior people you have the 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 more usually um, the more room you have to hire junior people and have a training and mentoring program for them right but to whatever degree his idea is that we should do that and of course lots of companies already do that I mean but. Or to maybe just to make it, a, I don't know, official or something or take credit for it, whatever. I don't know. Well, I think that was the whole idea around internships in general, but then it became this, well, go get my coffee. But my point, well, yeah, on. I know exactly. Like, or we just, <laughs> it's, it's just a way for us to have uh, free labor. Yeah. That's the other thing. Um, no, but I mean, it's, that's what's kind of weird about it to me. It's like, I mean, most companies already do that. Most companies that, ha- that have, you know, teams of developers, they have senior engineers and junior engineers they have yeah but it's also important to note that not not every senior senior engineer is is a good mentor no that's true like they they might be really good at what they do but they're not good at expressing or sharing that knowledge or that information in a way that makes sense not everyone and not yeah and everyone learns differently as well right so but i mean i don't i think there's no substitute there's no it is the best at least i think in as a program it's the best way to learn um, or it's 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 an essential component of learning there's just so many things you are not going to learn or it's, are you going to learn the the hardest way if you're not learning that by working on a team with senior people who yeah uh, who are good actually not not senior, not someone who just has done the same thing every year for 30 years but people who are always honing their craft learning new things you know getting better that that's the best way to learn i mean that's it, it completely accelerates your i think you are um your skill as a as a programmer yeah well pop in the stack <laughs> so so the crux of this article is that that we we can't code and so we should let robots do it for us is is that what i'm learning from this yeah the the, the crux is that just programming is a bad idea um it's just a bad idea and we shouldn't do it it's very insulting yeah and and i mean to be fair i mean that i think a valid problem we have is that just so many programmers are just very undisciplined and then we have a management problem, you know. Uh, I think more than anything, it's 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 the value deadline that people driven put development on, on that skill. 
that they're 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 so focused on the bottom line and, and not understanding the technology that they're willing to compromise on it because they feel like it's this this cheap commodity that they can trade with you know very easily. Well, that that these these components these people are so interchangeable that it doesn't matter what you want. It, it's what we want. It's the bottom yeah. line and the deadline that we're trying to meet. Yeah, we just push harder. We'll we'll get done on time and. You know, you. I'm sure the managers that pushed on Toyota, they they couldn't even fathom the mess they got themselves into. It never entered their mind, probably something that, like that. But that's what you know. That's just deadline driven development. That's where it's going to get you. And I'm Ten not saying says they got a bonus is, for meeting their deadline. They probably did. And I'm not saying you <laughs> you don't have deadlines or you don't have dates. You don't plan. You absolutely do. You do all those things. But you have to have honest conversations where yeah. people and you have to have. This goes back to like you know just agile and really the whole like DevOps type of culture. You have to have. People have to be psychologically safe. People have to feel safe to say, you know what? This is a bad idea. And <laughs> this could go really wrong. And But people are, they don't, in so many cases, they don't feel psychologically safe. Uh, they don't, there's not a, like a blame-free environment. You can't bring these things up without getting penalized. And, some, can... and sometimes it's subtle, but people still <laughs> know it. People know when they're in a work environment where yeah. there's subtle punishment for Speaking up for causing problems. Oh, that John, he's he causing us problems. You know, that kind of crap. It's like. Well, I've, I've been on projects where I, I've been open and honest with the product team that, yeah, this this is going to suck or this this is not good. I don't feel right about this. I don't have a good feeling about this. Um, and I always, I feel but bad. But we end up doing them anyways, <laughs> don't, don't we? Do, I'd like because, three. <laughs> because that one carrot, I, I need the hours. Yeah. Well. I don't know. I mean, like I had, I had, I had two. I think it was two different calls yesterday, where I feel like I was the bearer of bad news on both of them. They were for you know potential deals, and I'm just like, listen, I'm not trying to be difficult here, and I know you really want this to be a you know hundred thousand dollar project, but maybe this is a three hundred thousand dollar project, or there's you know there's just here are things that we don't understand near enough about this that could cause us problems, you know, so. Just letting you know, and I'm, again, not trying to not trying to be difficult. I don't, you know, I'm not trying to ruin this project. I'm just trying to be responsible and have a conversation. And, and you know what sucks about being that responsible person is if you're on the phone with a Salesforce AE or a sales rep, and they're pushing, 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 and you're trying to be responsible. You're going like, man, this is not right. This isn't good. This is not what the customer needs. Salesforce is telling them they need Shield, they need Service Cloud, they need this, they need that. And you're like, oh, they don't need this. And, and think about how that affects us. So anytime you and I are on the phone with like, a, let's say it's a Salesforce project and it, you know you're, you got a, a Salesforce customer that you're talking to and you're basically telling them things that Salesforce definitely doesn't want you to tell them. Yeah. Yeah. But, but now you're, yeah. But, but you're working with a partner and of course partners always feel obliged to do basically whatever the AU wants whatever yeah. the A says, whatever makes Salesforce happy. And you're the guy that's like, has this sole, you know, engineer being like, um, hi guys, like, this might not be a good idea. Like, <laughs> let's talk about this for a second here, please. And you may have an alternate recommendation. And, and, and then as soon as you get off the phone, uh, the, co the call's over, your boss's phone rings and it's the AE calling saying, get that MFR off this project. It's possible. That's what happens to, I'm not saying that's what happened. That's the situation we're in. Yeah. Well, I remember, I remember, I remember one time, this is going way, way back. Um, we had a hack or, or one of our colleagues had a hack for um, reading report data. 
it was before there was a supported API for getting report data out. It was there, but there was a hack. You can you can figure out the URL, you can hack it, you can get the JSON of that data, but it's, it was an undocumented. I think it was CSV. I think it was CSV. It was CSV, yeah. but it was undocumented. And I remember but, we had a they, class. Everyone, everyone used it, Salesforce used it. They, yeah. they made it to but, use. But we had a class, and in the class it had a comment that said, uh, because there was one class that, that supported this feature that, that we had, and it was one of our colleagues. I won't, so I won't mention names, but... They're in the class that said, use it at your own risk. Uh, this is an unsupported feature. It's not documented. This could go away, this and that. And it was, it was in the code. Meant By the for, way, good use case for a comment, actually. <laughs> no, I'm seriously. Like, <laughs> well, we were doing a demo and that class showed up because the client was a bit more technical and wanted to see that. They saw that comment and they killed the project because they needed this certain feature, this certain way of doing something. And th- there was the only way to do that was with this feature doing this one thing. Mm. And it wasn't that they killed the project, but they killed that feature of the project. Okay. Well, um, sounds like they probably should have made a, been made, made aware of that you know, before it got to that point. Where they, well, I think that's what the point. We were, we were describing these features and they saw that comment. They're like, yeah, we're not going to do it if it's not supported native. But um, Oh God, there's so much you have to do in any realistic Salesforce project that's not supported. <laughs> you know? I'm just saying. I mean, no, no, I'm just I saying. Mean, that, think about the URL. If, if the, that's their bar, the, if that's their bar, they can't use Salesforce for anything. Well, you remember our JavaScript hacks, hack, uh, putting in uh, JavaScript uh, oh, yeah. snippets or includes into the uh, section headers, and section stuff. headers and you, things that got killed. Oh, the or you could put them in um, in the sidebar and a sidebar component. That mm-hmm. was another. Yeah, or is that what they're? No, what, what are they called? Yeah, you could put them in the sidebar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they put the kibosh on all those, didn't they? I did. And those were, I mean, all all they had to do was see what we were trying to do and give us some damn hooks, but they didn't. We just wanted some hooks. <laughs> Uh, but at that time, they were very focused on trust. They were very focused on being able to trust that the that the save and insert ret- that you couldn't mess with that, that you couldn't mess with how the system saved and tracked inf- or stored information. Yeah. Um, so they didn't give those kind of hooks. But now they're a little bit more loosey goosey about it. Obviously, because Lightning, we have in well, actions, we have all these only, all these hooks. It only but, took them ten years. Yeah. But there are you know slightly and more you know better ways to customize screens and things. Yeah. Unfortunately, none of my clients can use them, but <laughs> one of these days, I'll get to use Lightning. Lightning. I uh, say well, we have, uh, we have some, uh, some community stuff. Okay. Well, let's get to it. Let's we get are, to it. Where are we, how are we doing here? We're an, hour and a, we're an hour and a half in, John. All right. Well, we'll, we'll try to get through them. Oh. Uh, Actually, you know what? I have a call in 10 minutes. No, you don't. I sure do. You bastard. Yeah. <laughs> I do. <laughs> All right. So this one is, uh, he didn't say we can use his name, but he's, he's, uh, he wrote a blog post. So obviously, I can use his name. Uh, Matthew Morris. Matt Morris, friend of the show, Technology Flows. Yep. Uh, we mentioned him earlier. Uh, so he was just responding to our request last week on feedback on conferences. Um, and so he, he wrote a blog post and he said, hey, eh, I wrote a blog post. Oh, Why don't you check okay. it out. Um, so if you want to learn more about Surfforce and kind of all the things that happen there and things like that, definitely go to his, uh, his, uh, his blog. It's uh, technologyflows.com. Uh, he, has, uh, he has a topic there on Surfforce 2017. It's a good read. Uh, he well written. Um, so if you want to learn more about that conference, go ahead in there. And also, if you have your own experience at a conference, uh, whether it's Surfforce or or any other of these local conferences, please let us know. I want to I want to hear I want to hear, hear how you guys are liking. I want to know things. how everyone has the so much time and money to go to so many. Well, you know, one thing one thing I did pull from from Matt's post is that you know he said these smaller venues are really great. You get to talk to people, you get to meet more people than you do some of these like large like Dreamforce. It's so big, so impersonal. It's it's very right? impersonal. Yeah. You can't meet people. You can't sit and have a beer with people. You're struggling to even <laughs> find even a place a to have yeah, a beer. Exactly. You're struggling. To have, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I don't like conference food. But I remember last time we went, I had, luckily we had the, yeah. the press pass 
So it was easier to go and it get It was food. the same crappy food. It was bad. It we was. I don't I like think conference it was food. I think but the price food was worse. We would have been hard pressed to find good lunch anyways because we would have had to drive out of the city right. to get it. Yep. That's how bad it is. Yep. So anyways, moving on. Um, <laughs> Richard Cook. Oh, but I want uh, Hang on before we move on from that. Okay. Technology flows. Are we saying that technology is a thing that flows? Like it's a verb, it flows? Or are we saying that there's... Um, there are things called technology flows, plural noun. Oh, like process flows and things? Yeah, technology flows, process flows. No, te- or, or, technology or, or, moves or just techno- like a river. Okay, it's a technology, it's a verb. It's technology a verb. flows. It flows. All right. It's, it's, I, just, I don't know if that's ever been defined or explained before. <laughs> I've always wondered. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, so Richard Cook, he did say we could use his name. Uh, he, has, he has a question for us. Uh, he says, you guys have debated the merits of Apex as a back-end language how it's proprietary, behind language trends, poor packaging, and all that. Uh, question is, so what if on the back end, Salesforce went to JavaScript node style? I think I brought this topic up it's, uh, as well. His perspective is, the event-driven architecture would fit in with the multi-tenant on-a-pod architecture they, <laughs> they have. <laughs> Using callbacks, promises, async await for HTTP calls, database queries, updates. Uh, there have been numerous reports that Node and V8 uh, is more responsive and, t- and takes less memory than the Java virtual machine. I don't know. Have you ever looked at Slack or some of these things? <laughs> Apex runs on the behind the scenes. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Google constantly works on improving performance of V8. So I guess it's making the case that that uh, Node and V8 would be much more performant than Java Virtual Machine. I'll let you respond to that. Uh, NPM would handle the... Uh, oh, he, he says NPM would handle all the Happy Soup packaging problems. So he's giving you a carrot there. Uh, finally, there is a large body of documentation on JavaScript and Node best practices and a large pool of JavaScript developers that can be integrated into the Salesforce ecosystem. It's Node HANA. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. That might be a title, Node, Node HANA. HANA. Well, um, I, I don't want to debate the merits of Node versus like Java or something. Or I JVM, mean, yeah. Uh, you know, I guess suffice it to say that uh, the engineering that's been put into the into JavaScript infrastructure over the past ten years or so is it probably eclipses anything else, right? And um, it's come a super long way. In many ways, it's like incredibly high performance. Um, they're you know Node uh, and and NPM in particular, I think, uh, open up a whole new capability of building applications. One that Apex doesn't even have yet, which is that of a Package and modular a modularization and packaging and repository system, mm-hmm. uh, and and a build tool to go along with that. And so, yeah, I mean, again, I have my qualms with JavaScript. There's things about the language that are just ridiculous. Um, but that being said, I certainly build apps in JavaScript, and there's a lot about it that is you know quite good. And uh, I prefer to have like a, a JVM kind of language um the libraries are better um i think the it's the jvm itself or this the one from oracle the hotspot vm i mean there's other ones too there's other really good vms but um tons of engineering over the past you know 25 years has gone to those uh, hotspot is incredibly performant it outperforms in most cases even um like c c code in a lot of cases because mm-hmm. it dynamically is looking at itself and and you know uh inlining literally inlining like the hotspots <laughs> Right, depending on how the code's running, so and I don't even I don't know if I don't know if Node is there yet in terms of how smart it is about real you know modifying itself at runtime to to run more uh, performantly. Is that a word? Performantly? I don't even know if performant is a word. I get it. Um, 
but I mean, I would be if if they, if Salesforce announced, uh, hey, we're going to let you run npm on the platform. I'm a happy guy. It's it's a hundred times better than what we have now. I think JVM would be 110 times better, so marginally better. But yeah. if it was Node, I mean, and it probably I don't know, it would be a shorter, it'd be a smaller task for Salesforce to enable you to run. Java on the platform because Salesforce is a Java shop and it's all it's Java. It's just Java, Java, Java. Um, that would be a more natural thing to do. I think more likely. I think that most. I would say that more of their customers would choose NPM over Java. I would would choose would Node and JavaScript over Java. I've just done the informal surveys. I've seen more people pick JavaScript, which is just a product of where we are. It's at Atwood's law. Anything that can be written in JavaScript eventually will be written in JavaScript. That's true. Yep. I, I, don't, I don't see it that way. I think, I think the proprietary nature of Apex serves one single purpose, and that's because you're writing code running on their server, and they, have, they want control over the code they could, to they, a certain degree. If with Java or JavaScript, they could still have total control. They could, still could go through a, verifi- a verification step and everything, and they could, they're controlling the runtime. They've got their own custom VMs they're running that they can do the, all the bytecode analysis and verification all that stuff. It doesn't matter what language. I mean, they just chose to invent their own language because that probably sold better. Maybe. I, I, I see it as a way for them to control, to have that control. And, and I mean, all the governor limits and everything else. I mean, I still think they can completely control that with Java. Like you, I mean, I can see them publishing all these interfaces, you know. Um, Not they, really. I mean. Like, so like, look at, think of, think I mean, of, like, think okay, about right now on Apex, think of, think of all the different classes that the API that's made available to you, yeah. the database, you know, database.insert, all that stuff. They could, those could totally be Java interfaces that you call into, but you're calling into, but it's their, it's their instances, it's their framework thing, their service that they're running that they completely control. They could completely sandbox you and, 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 and have all that security. It doesn't, it doesn't require Apex for that. What do you think Apex compiles down to? The same thing that what Java would compile down to, which is Java bytecode. In I, fact, I bet they could reuse a lot of that because I bet a lot of the verification happens at the byte at, by at, you know bytecode analysis or the bytecode layer, not at the language layer. Hmm. And so they could swap Java out. Well, Java still compiles a bytecode, and they could still continue to do. Of course, again, they'd have to they'd have to publish like you know Java interfaces for all these things instead of Apex. But I, I think that's a much shorter putt than uh, than than. JavaScript. I begin. I'd be. I'd be happy as a pig and sh- stuff with either of those. <laughs> well, I, I guess to a certain extent, I, I do have to agree with you. I, I do think that a lot of it is just. I don't want to say hu- hubris. Is that a right word? H- hubris. Yeah. Hubris. H- chutzpah. Chutzpah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do think a lot of it is just them trying to make that splash. Them trying to tout themselves as this platform with a proprietary language that they control and they built and. Oh, do you remember the, the press releases? The world's first cloud on-demand programming language. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> However, I think it did start from a very simple idea that, um, uh, like you said, they wanted a database triggering language. And, and I think they, once that idea rolled of we're going we're gonna to have stored procedures in, in, um, in the cloud, um, that the idea expanded. And from there they went from this base of we're just going to have stored procedures to this programming language. And that's where this, that's where we're at today. That it expanded beyond that marketing got a hold of it. Benioff, you know, saw the, the, the dollar signs and everything and said, this is going to be awesome and incredible and phenomenal. And, uh, and meditated on it with his monks. Yeah. (laughs) With his monks. And, uh, and this is where we're at. 
I think I think if if the original plan was to come up with a way for us to program on it, that we would be in a different place. At least that's my opinion. I, th- I think the idea, the original inception of what this was meant to be, and how it got expanded, I think I think that's what how, why we ended up where we're at. To be honest. Yeah. So anyway, did we answer the question? I think so. I th- okay. We also talked about this before. I remember. I remember discussing this with you as well when we talked about package managers and all that kind of stuff. So. Yep. Uh, but good topic. Thanks you. Thank you, uh, Mr. Cook, for that. Um, and if you want to leave us, uh, if you also want us to talk about something you feel passionate about, or a question you have, or want to throw us uh, some challenge. Yeah. So these these were great, and we we need to keep getting these. So please, yeah, uh, email us with you know your questions or your ideas, or if you want to challenge us, or we if we're wrong on something like send it's us, really hard send to, us to read the news every day. So when you guys send us topics, that's, that's it, easy. no, it really does. It provides content, <laughs> so we don't have to you know scrounge for content every week. It yeah. really is. Plus, it's just super interesting and useful to get feedback from people. It's like a, it makes us more of a conversation. I I don't like it when it doesn't feel like a conversation with the community. Because yeah. c- talking just to you, John, it kind of gets a little stale after a while. Well, this, I have was, to, this was the Jeremy show, so. Uh, no, it wasn't. You know, it was. It's very boring. Well, uh, and the more people, the more stale. If if we get emails from people, it's, it's less the Jeremy show, more you know, a community community discussion. So no, this is good. I really like those. So please, people, if you got if you've if you've been thinking about a question or a topic idea or whatever, I know because I know people yell at us, like they're ah, he's wrong about this, or they should have talked about that, or whatever. You know, s- send us an email. It's, I think it makes for it's it's fun. It's enjoyable. Yeah. Okay. And it's easier to keep track of than the Slack channel. Um, I know some of you sent us topics on the Slack channel kind of in the threads, and I lose track of them really easily. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, just kind of send them to the to the email inbox because I have a separate folder for that, and it helps me keep track of them. So it's not that I want your email address or anything. It's just that it's easier for me to keep track of than having to comb the threads yeah. for, this might be a good topic. Yes, we do not run Marketing Cloud or Pardot or anything, so no, you don't have to don't. worry about us getting you know, spammed by us or anything. Yeah. Oh, and if uh, I'm out of whiskey, so if anybody wants to send me whiskey. Uh-oh. Sorry. <laughs> now you're going to get people shipping you whiskey. Uh, what else? Um, we're wrapping up. So reviews. We haven't had a review in yeah, a while. We We'd love to get, hear your feedback on the show. Yeah. Good or bad. Uh, Jeremy loves the bad ones because he likes to harp on them for <laughs> weeks. So if you want to be on the show for like 10 weeks in a row, oh. do a really bad review because Jeremy won't let it go. I think this is a bad idea. <laughs> this sounds like a bad idea. Um, if, if, you ha- if you have a really creative review, I might do something special with it. Mm. Wow. All right. Uh, yeah. Reviews. Um, like us in Overcast. Subscribe too. I think subscribing is good. Just so you get the episode automatically. I think people forget about that or they don't have their podcatcher set up right. You can, I mean, the way I've always had mine set up is I subscribe to podcasts and they just, when a new episode's out, in fact, I mean, like Overcast, Downcast, um, they all just download it immediately. I like that. Cause then if I'm, no matter if I have service or not, if I'm on an airplane, like all my, you know, I've got this queue of, of podcasts that are ready for me to listen to them. So subscribe just to make sure you get it. And we get, uh, yeah, and our, our bonus checks go up when you subscribe. Right, John? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm working for a yacht right now. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. I, I don't like yachts. I don't like yachts? I don't like boats. Mm. I, I don't do well on boats. I get sick. Okay. They Only on the They make medicine for that. But. Yeah. Well, into that, I say good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. <laughs>